Property Trust and Sam Favre, the Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, in the markets this morning, they are slipping a little bit around Asia. The ASX 200 in Australia is off 0.1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down 0.8%. The Cosby uh, off just a tad 0.1%. But futures markets are indicating a rebound for the Hang Seng this morning of about 1.1%, about 300 points or so. We'll see what happens in just under an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is trading at $74.77 a barrel and gold is at $1,799 an ounce. Please do join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. News up next, followed by back chats with Jim Gordon and Fenton. The weather forecast uh, for today, uh, very hot, sunny intervals and a few showers. The maximum temperature is going to be about 33 degrees. That very hot weather warning is in force once again. The showers will increase and there will be thunderstorms in the next few days. Temperature is 31 degrees and it's 81% relative humidity. 8.31, Samantha Butler has the half-hour news. Just Diseases Agency, the CDC, said Americans should resume wearing face masks in public indoor spaces in parts of the country where the coronavirus is surging. The guidance applies to both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. Here's the BBC's Peter Bowes. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says about two-thirds of counties have high transmission rates that warrant the wearing of masks with the Delta variant of the virus behind many of the surges. Some states, such as Florida and Missouri, have seen rapidly rising infection rates. The CDC's guidance is a reversal of its position two months ago and poses a dilemma for many local and state authorities with some highly reluctant to accept tougher measures. In a speech to U.S. intelligence officials, President Biden has expressed views that are highly critical of his Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin and the state of the Russian economy. The U.S. president's comments came as senior officials from the two countries gathered in Geneva for resumed nuclear talks. Mr. Putin has a real problem. He's sitting on top of an economy that has nuclear weapons and oil wells and nothing else. He knows. He knows he's in real trouble, which makes him even more dangerous in my view. Apple, Microsoft and Google's parent company Alphabet have reported sharp increases in profits. The tech giant's latest quarterly results have beaten analysts' expectations. Here's the BBC's Rory Gallimore. Cycles of lockdowns, lingering uncertainty and disruption caused by the pandemic continue to cause turmoil for businesses all over the world. But to these huge firms have thrived. In the three months to June, Alphabet's profits reached $18.5 billion, more than twice the figure for the same time last year. It's a similar picture for Apple, which published its best ever profits for the third quarter. And Microsoft's revenues rose by 21%, compared with the same period in 2020. There's a range of factors behind these eye-watering sums, including rebounding economies and demand for gadgets. The more time people spend online, the more tech giants benefit. Several shopping malls around Hong Kong say they'll open early so people can watch Hong Kong swimmer Siobhan Hohe's gold medal attempt in the women's 200-metre freestyle final just after 9.30am. She's the first Hong Kong swimmer to advance to an Olympic final and was leading the pack in yesterday's semi-finals before being pipped at the post. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. So this morning we're exploring the question, what does it take to become an Olympic gold medalist? Hong Kong has been celebrating the achievement of fencer Edgar Chung Ka Long who's uh, taken gold at the Tokyo Games, the second time an athlete from the territory has topped an Olympic podium. That's after the success of windsurfer Li Lai Shan, who won a gold medal in Atlanta in 1996. Meanwhile, uh, swimmer Siobhan Hockey, who you just heard in the news summary there, will race for gold this morning after she made it into the final of the 200 metres freestyle. Other Hong Kong athletes also have their eyes on the prizes. What does it take to become a gold medalist? What kind of training do athletes need, both physically and psychologically? We'll be talking to the experts. If you'd like to join the conversation or let us know how you're feeling about the importance of the Games and the way they're progressing, let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233 now, this morning, uh, we're joined by uh, Tricia Leahy, who's uh, Chief Executive of the Hong Kong Sports Institute, and also uh, Karen Lowe, who is a sport and performance psychologist with uh, Inner Edge and a certified mental performance consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology of the USA. And after 9.30, uh, we'll be joined by another guest, uh, Patrick Lau, who's a professor at the Department of Sports at the Physical Edu uh, in uh, Physical Education. Education and health. Um, so, uh, uh, good morning to both our guests for now. Good morning. Um, okay, uh, perhaps, um, uh, Tricia, perhaps we can start with you. Um, so, mm -hmm. how are you feeling today about, um, about uh, Edgar's gold medal? Oh, look, it's a fantastic achievement. We're so happy for him. And, um, you know, as you say, yeah, it's really for us now for these next. 10 days that we have left of the Olympics. It's all about um, getting down to business, getting the job done, focusing on each step as it happens, and uh, moving on to try and get the best results of that, that we can for Hong Kong. And this is what every athlete in Tokyo is focusing on right now, every coach, all of the scientific and medical staff, all of the Olympic Committee members who are there supporting the athletes. So it's a very exciting time, and uh, we are so happy for um, uh, John Galong and his absolutely superb performance. It was such a, a textbook, clinical precision. It was really such a, a happy and exuberant kind of uh, expression of excellence. So we were so happy about that. And what kind of influence do you think that success is going to have on the rest of the team? Well, I think um, one of the major impacts will be that um, it hopefully offloads a lot of the pressure on the other target um, athletes who look like they're in contention for a medal. Um, and, you know, so always, uh, as you go to the Olympics, Hong Kong has always had such a small delegation, and uh, the, the, the number of athletes who can even make a play just to get in the top eight or you know, get onto the podium is always very, very small. Um, this time, we have a very talented generation of athletes, and more than one of them has the potential to really fight for a medal. So I think this first gold medal coming uh, early in the Games is going to be um, a great motivation for everyone else and a releasing of the burden. So I hope that it will enable them all to just really, really express their excellence 
um, without any additional pressure and do the best they can for Hong Kong. Like you say, it was a remarkable uh, performance by Edgar Chung, Chung Ka Long, um, especially at the quarterfinal stage. He was, uh, he was uh, on the brink of elimination, wasn't he? He was 14-10 uh-huh. down at one point yep. uh, against, uh, against the, uh, the, the Russian fencer. Um, mm. I mean... W- what sort of effort does it take? What sort of mental effort does it take to sort of, uh, you know, come back from a position like that? Well, it absolutely takes a supreme mental effort, absolutely fine-tuned focus. And I think um, Edgar's dad, you know, he's, he's been in the media recently also commenting on this, said it quite well. You know, if this was back in 2016, um, Galong would may not have been able to pull it together, uh, but you can see the development of him as a mature competitor from then to now, just being able to focus on each point as it comes up, fine-tune, stay in the present, each second, each microsecond counts, and that's what it takes, you know, in a sport like fencing to be able to operate at that level. So I was so touched that Galang was saying how uh, it's like a dream come true. He never expected it. You know, we always expect it with an athlete of his talent um, and with a system around him, with the support from his family, the support from um, the school, um, Dakai College, where he, he uh, was a member, and with the support from the society and everything that the Hong Kong Sports Institute can set up around his development. Um, then, you know, in a way, we're not surprised it was going to happen sooner or later. We're just really happy that it happened here at, um, at the Tokyo Olympics. OK, well, let, let's bring in uh, Karen Lowe, who's a sport and performance uh, psychologist uh, with Inner Edge. Um, uh, Karen, how do you train athletes to deal with situations like that? You know, when, uh, when it looks like, um, you know, their chance is gone and they've got to dig deep and come back and, you know, uh, take uh, victory from the jaws of defeat, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Thank you morning. Uh, for having me. Yes, um, it's, I think it's a, it's a long-term working process. Um, uh, you know, I've established... Uh, re- close working relationships with athletes early on. Uh, it's not about, you know, having that quick fix and, you know, oh, what do you say to an athlete between points or what do you say to an athlete when they're, you know, down by a couple of points. It's about having that relationship and understanding what their personality is, understanding what their strengths and uh, improvements, areas of improvement, and then um, I guess preparing, mentally preparing them that this might happen and how do we effectively respond to those situations when they happen. So we usually have, we usually train the, the mental side of the game very early on and we try and rehearse for it. We try and talk about it. We discuss what's going to happen in Tokyo. And then when it happens, then, you know, they, they, they will, they will know that they have a plan at hand. So c- could you take us back a few steps, mm-hmm. either of you really, is to, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a similar field myself. What is the process of, say, starting with parents? How do you get Hong Kong parents on, on track with getting their talented kid in the kind of super discipline mode, which is completely alien to most kids these days? How do you do the preparation with a typical Hong Kong kid and typical Hong Kong parents who are much more focused on academics? I think we could agree. Well, I think this is a, a, an international problem. Um, when you have multiple giftedness, um, Anna, then the question of parental choice in which 
kind of giftedness they want to develop is a very important question. Now, at the Hong Kong Sports Institute, what we've been trying to do in the past few years is to take away the need to make that choice so that if a child is gifted in sports, um, that historic conflict between academic development, where they may also be gifted, and sports development need not be such a conflict anymore. And to do that, we have been working very closely with the education sector. Now, um, at this point, we have partnership programs with the ESF. We have partnership programs with Lundai Phi College, uh, whereby the, uh, the senior secondary school athletes have access to flexible, targeted education programs so they can finish their high school at the same time as training full-time. And then we have established memorandum, uh, memorandum of, of uh, understanding agreements with all of the UGC-funded universities which similarly, at the undergraduate level, when they step into undergraduate, which previously was a very non-flexible program, now they have also access to flexible education there. And some of the private institutions and other tertiary institutions are now on board with this as well. And so as we're now moving forward, parents don't have to make that choice. Children can have access to everything and develop themselves as broadly as possible. And we really believe in the importance of education for uh, high-performance athletes. But how, how do you train the parents is my question because I speak to a lot of coaches and I hear the big problem again and again is the parents. They're not clear-sighted on this at all and the poor child gets kind of mixed up with mixed messages. I think it's not a single, it's not a single issue topic, Anna. I think it has to do with the um, our social environment, the promotion of sports in our culture, the um, and, and as you can see, the impact of, uh, for example, Galong winning his gold medal, and suddenly all of the shopping malls are packed now this morning for Siobhan's attempt. So what you have then is a momentum building and a valuing of sporting giftedness. And the more we value as a society sporting giftedness, then the easier it becomes for parents to really appreciate the fact that their, their child is gifted and this deserves support. So I don't think it's fair to, to criticize parents or blame parents. Parents always want what's best for their child. But isn't so that exactly the point? That the fact is that we're, we're awakening up today like this is some phenomenon that came out of a clear blue sky. Why aren't we used to expecting that kids, uh, that our young people would excel at sport? Why is it such a bizarre event? Well, I, I don't think it is. I think we do expect this. And for sure, with the elite sports system as it has been developing in Hong Kong, it's in a very healthy state right now. Um, and this is why we're now getting the results. So starting from probably around 2009 when we started a big $1.8 billion redevelopment of the whole institute to create world standard venues for the athletes. And then on further to that, then we had the establishment of a, a fund called the Elite Athletes Development Fund by the government, which then suddenly we had a stable um, uh, Set of funding that each year we could fund what we needed for the athletes. So consequently, we were able to then go out into the community and start promoting um, to the schools, to the universities, the need for flexible education. So it's all about a partnership approach. And as the partnerships have developed and matured, we've seen 
you know, a, a almost 250% increase in full-time training athletes. We've seen a 400% increase in junior full-time training athletes. So all of this is a moving picture as we move forward. So rather than something to criticize, I think it's something to celebrate. And as we look forward and beyond, after Tokyo is finished and the Paralympic Games are finished, where we're also expecting great results from those athletes, we'll be looking at fine-tuning even further. High-performance sport is all about marginal gains. So as we look for the marginal gains, we're always looking at how we can fine-tune the system. What are the critical success factors? How do we fund it appropriately? How do we proportion out the funding? How do we make sure the message is getting to the right people? And I believe it is. That's why we have such a healthy group um, of talented athletes. Yeah, that's a very important point, isn't it, uh, that you make about marginal gains. Uh, uh, Karen Lowe, I mean, um, what do you have to do to achieve those marginal gains? I mean, we might be talking about fractions of a second or fractions of a millimeter or yep you You are (laughs) yeah i mean uh it's 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 multiple uh, factors uh we're talking about here i think um uh, of course this the mental aspect of the game is uh extremely important um there's the physical there's the tactical there's the strategical uh there's also nutrition sleep uh, luck also is a, is also a, a, a big factor that we cannot control. Um, so it's about understanding uh, or allowing athletes to understand that there are multiple factors that they can work on and focus on what they can control uh, and, instead of focusing on what they can't. And, and is there a big difference between um, between different sports in the way that uh, you know you you, you approach uh, sports psychology? Um, no, I wouldn't say that there's a big difference. I would say that it's it's pretty much uh, 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 pretty similar across all sports. Um, of course, there are personality differences, um, individual sports uh, versus team sports. Um, and, and with a team, there's always more people to think about. There's always the coaches. There's also, also the teammates. Uh, the team dynamics are also very important. That, that could be a deciding factor uh, for the team to, to succeed. Um, but at the same time, if you think about an individual sport, there is also a team. So um, I wouldn't say that there's a there's a big difference. I, I would say that uh, you know it's it's equally important across all sports. Um, so, uh, in fact, um, I'd like to ask you both uh, in due course. But uh, but yeah, well, perhaps now. I mean, w- um, so uh, uh, Chan Ka Long's uh, gold medal. What what is it going to mean for the sport of uh, fencing? Perhaps Karen first. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, it can serve as a motivation. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, back then in 1996, when when we had our first gold medalist uh, in windsurfing, um, lots of people <laughs> started uh, doing windsurfing and, and and trying to understand the sport as well. And then it happened in table tennis, and it happened in cycling as well. So I'm pretty sure that this is going to be uh, a motivation for people to learn fencing, and and so that we can have a bigger pool of athletes a bigger pool of talented athletes uh, 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 and, and represent Hong Kong um, in, in, in different competitions. Um, uh, I think, but there is also another, uh, uh, con- um, uh, I guess, issue that, that, that I always come across is, is, is early specialization because I work mainly with youth sport and um, 
I think uh, it's it's a great thing that we've you know we've won a gold for for Hong Kong, but at the same time, um, it's important as well. If, if we go back to the the, the parent issue uh, that you mentioned earlier, uh, it's about uh, educating them uh, that it that early specialization is 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 not the key to success. So uh, and I and I and I feel like this is something that we need to address early on uh, if when we work with athletes and. and well, why do you say that when places like Russia and China, which are really successful in the medals tables, do exactly that? Um, well, I, I would, I would uh, say that uh, yes, we do see success um, uh, early on, and 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 we do see uh, positive examples of athletes that are able to go on and on. But at the same time, we we also see you know the other side of sport where athletes. Uh, peak early, they have success early, but at the same time, they, they get burnt out really easily. And then that's when uh, a lot of issues pop up, like mental issues. Um, they get depressed because they're unable to find their identity. So it's important to see, I think, both sides of the picture. Um, okay. So, uh, Trisha, a question for you, really, the, 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 in the work of the Institute. Uh, how do you screen for kids and how many poor kids are in the program? Because the, these sports that you mentioned, fencing, they're, they're not exactly housing estate sports. So how do you pick up talented kids from the, the poorer end of society? So I think, Anna, the good thing about sport is that anybody who has the talent can access the sport. Now, for the Hong Kong Sports Institute, we uh, deliver the high-performance system. So we're the government's designated organization, if you like, delivering the whole high-performance system. Now, we deliver that system to the sports governing bodies who meet certain benchmark criteria. So it's the sports governing bodies. We call them national sports associations in Hong Kong, NSAs for short. So it's the NSAs who are out there in the community progressing their sport, developing their sport, getting the kids access. And we've had some very, very successful um, athletes across all of the sports. So right now in Hong Kong SI, we have 20 what we call Tier A sports who are fully resident here. And we provide the whole high-performance training environment for them, including facilities, coaching. The athletes live here. The, uh, as Karen was mentioning, the psychology, the nutrition, the biochemistry, uh, biomechanics, all of the scientific support that they need. And we then depend on the NSAs with whom we are in partnership to uh, provide the talent pool. Now, we can provide assistance along the way by doing scientific testing in terms of, you know, whether or not specific athletes are ready or have the talent or look like they're the right, the right uh, lever length or the right height at specific phases in their development. And that's, a, that's an ongoing process. So for us, um, you know, our, our face-to-face interaction is with the NSAs in terms of garnering um, a, a pool of talented young people that can access the Hong Kong Sports Institute for training. Um, and so then part of our promotional work as we promote the concept of elite sport and elite athlete lifestyle support is part of what you were talking about is educating the parents and the teachers so that they understand what it means to be an elite athlete, what's available, what is the pathway in, what is the pathway out. And we work in partnership with other agencies like Leisure and Culture Services Department, of course, the HAB, uh, the uh, Hong Kong Olympic Committee, who provides an excellent post-retirement program 
for athletes because, as you know, the athlete um, life cycle is shorter than than uh, other professions. What's a post-retirement so as, program yep. for a 22-year-old look like? Well, 22 is a little bit young. Well, whatever age they <laughs> they come out of all this. Yeah. Well, so while they're while they're here at the Hong Kong Sports Institute. Uh, we provide them access to education. We fund that education. Um, and so they can continue their study. So by the time they're ready to retire, they already have, um, you know, degrees. So they even might have master's degrees. And then if they are interested in coaching, for example, we have a coaching apprenticeship program that they can try in their last couple of years of high-performance training. And then we send them to the uh, Hong Kong Olympic Committee, which has a whole program for job placement, for retraining, for additional workshopping that they may need. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a very smooth process now. It's not like it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Okay, uh, the system is very robust. Thanks. Uh, yeah, uh, Karen Lowe, I'd like to ask you, because you, you're a former swimmer, mm-hmm. um, have you seen much uh, difference in the way uh, uh, training routines have developed um, you know, in recent years? Oh, most certainly. Mm. I, I used to be an athlete. I was a swimmer at the Hong Kong Sports Institute, actually. Sure, Karen. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that was that was a couple of decades ago. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, but, but when I was still young and I was still training in the Sports Institute, um, uh, I definitely uh, felt like um, I was... I guess at that time, like very alone in my journey, um, uh, uh, I did get uh, coach support, um, but at the same time, I, I, I didn't know that I could also have access to uh, different support staff. And, and so, you know, when we see now, even not just within the Sports Institute, but also outside, there's lots of dietitians that work with athletes. There's lots of physios that work with athletes. Um, and it's, it's, it's about understanding that each component is equally important. And that's why um, athletes, you know, they might come to me for psychological support before they go to Tokyo or before they go to the other games. So I think it's it's definitely grown and it's definitely developing and 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 I, I think it's very positive. Okay, and also I'd also like to ask you uh, because I know you have to go at nine o'clock uh, about uh, Simone Biles, um, the U.S. gymnast yes. who's mm-hmm. uh, she's um, well pulled out of the women's team final, correct? Um, citing mm-hmm. citing um, um, mental health. Uh, issues, um, and we also had. Uh, we've also seen recently the example of uh, Naomi Osaka, the Japanese tennis player, mm-hmm. also expressing uh, concern about uh, mental health um, and deciding um, not, not to automatically do news conferences anymore after t- uh, tennis matches. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we've got an email uh, here. Uh, from one of our listeners, uh, Alonzo, who says, uh, when you see the recent mental meltdowns suffered by Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, you can't help but admire the achievements of Novak Djokovic. Uh, what does your panel of guests think about the problems suffered by Osaka and Biles? Would you, would you care to comment on that? Uh, sure. So, yeah, so Simone was, was, uh, had a perf- co- conference, I think it was yesterday, um, uh, saying that she wasn't re- mentally ready for, for competition. Mm. Um, and, and I, I feel like, uh, yes, it's unfortunate and it's a pity that we weren't able to see her in action. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's, it's also an example for us to learn um, because, especially I think in the Hong Kong sports culture, we don't tend to talk too much about mental health and we don't tend to talk too much about 
I'm not mentally ready. Um, you know, uh, we, we usually just try and, you know, suck it up, <laughs> um, uh, for lack of a better word or phrase. Um, and, and we just try to, 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 you know, to go through the process even when we're not mentally ready. So I think it's, 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 it's an unfortunate, um, uh, situation. Um, and, and, of course, everyone would want to see them in action, but at the same time, I think it also it's it's a it's a good example for us to learn from, and I think Hong Kong athletes should speak up more um, uh, about you know being mentally ready or, or not feeling mentally uh, okay uh, when 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 the situation uh, is necessary. Mm. Tricia, yeah, look, I think at the Hong Kong Sports Institute, the the scientific model of the development of athletes is founded on what we would call a biopsychosocial model. Uh, so the biopsychosocial model, as you might guess from the name, really implies the interaction of a number of characteristics from the biological part. You have to be biologically gifted, otherwise you're a non-starter. But then there's also the psychological part. You have to have the psychological mindset, which of course is completely trainable, as is your physiology once the bases are there. And then there's the social aspect, which refers to our society as a whole, how we value sport, which refers to the family support, the school support. Now, all of those acting together produce a development path for athletes. And um, how we manage each of those factors, as Karen said, they're all equally important. So at the Institute, we are set up in this kind of systemic way so that we have embedded multidisciplinary teams around the athletes so that they can access the kind of support that they need without the assumption of underlying failure or underlying weakness. Mm. Everything for us is about how do you try to be the best in the world? What is it about yourself that you need to change in order to be the best in the world? What are the barriers that might prevent you from doing that? And how do you move forward okay. in that positive pathway? Okay, great. Well, well, lots to, more to talk about um, after the news at nine o'clock. We've got a break for three minutes uh, for the news. Uh, before we do, a quick look at the weather. Uh, very hot with sunny intervals and a few showers. Top temperature, 33 degrees. More showers with isolated thunderstorms later. Uh, the outlook... Uh, it's going to be, well, showers will increase and there will be thunderstorms in the next few days. Currently 31 degrees, 81% THK. And welcome back to Backchat uh, with Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about... Uh, uh, what it takes to make an Olympic gold medalist. Of course, um, celebrating uh, the victory uh, of the fencer Edgar Chern Karlong. And, um, you know, also uh, wishing best of luck to our swimmer Siobhan Hockey, who will be taking part in the final of the 200 metres uh, freestyle shortly after the end of this programme this morning. Um, and, of course, uh, all of the other Hong Kong athletes who are still involved uh, in the Olympics. Um, we have with us this morning uh, Tricia Leahy, who's Chief Executive of the Hong Kong Sports Institute, uh, uh, Karen Lowe, who's a sport and performance psychologist with Inner Edge and also a certified mental performance consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology of the USA, 
And on the line as well now we have uh, Patrick Lau, who's a professor at the Department of Sport, Physical Education and Health at the Baptist University. Um, right, uh, we were talking uh, just before nine o'clock about um, uh, various uh, considerations uh, of what um, makes uh, you know, a competent, uh, a promising uh, athlete, uh, somebody with potential, one of them being uh, uh, physiology. Um, now... Um, uh, uh, Professor Lau, good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, yeah, good morning. Uh, because yeah, uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of focus on uh, Chen Kao Long at the moment. Um, this guy's pretty tall, isn't he? One point nine, sorry, yeah, one point nine three meters tall. Uh, he's sort of, sort of built more like a basketball player. Is, <laughs> is that uh, does that does that give him an advantage in the sport of fencing? Of course, mm. especially he is a left-hander right. in fencing. Uh, this is uh, adaptation for the opponents uh, when they compete. So definitely, it can be traced when he was a young boy that he was identified as a talent. And in addition to this um, body height and the left-hander, it actually gave him additional um, competitive edge on the, on, on, in the competition. So is he taller than the average fencer in, in, you know, in the same discipline? A little bit, a little mm. bit. Because when you look at the, the body shape of the fences internationally, they have typical uh, body structure. Yeah, long hand and uh, long legs, and then they are shorter uh, the core. Because whenever in the in the fencing competition of this foil, uh, the only scoring portion is the trunk, is the core. Mm. So he is typical, very typical, and very very good for the competition in this uh, sport. And just uh, explain to us uh, how being left-handed is an advantage. Oh, because uh, the majority of the sports, actually not only the, uh, the fencing, in, in the racket sports like badminton, table tennis, tennis, they have the same advantage. Yeah. Because the majority of people are right-handed, so you're going diagonally opposite to your opponent, not side to side. Because when we all we always attack on the uh, backhand side, and and whenever you attack the backhand side for the left-handers, this is the forehand forehand side. Mm. Mm. Okay, um, and 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 also uh, in terms of the uh, sport of fencing. So again, we were talking about this uh, before nine o'clock, but uh, it seems that there's there's uh, been a, a new. Sort of a you know upsurge of interest among uh, uh, parents, often with young children, inquiring about um, you know um, can I get fencing lessons uh, for my kids? Uh, but um, it, I mean, is there a p particular age when it's um, when it's best to start in terms of fencing? Um, in general, based on the sports physiology studies, um, one believe we have a situation which is not earlier better. This is a wrong understanding in the sports development, especially for Thailand identification programs. Uh, earlier, it's not definitely better. But in, in, in the uh, children development, uh, physiology and psychology, actually we better start the play of the fencing or other sports at around four or five. Just play, not elite training, and then we can start the more advanced, uh, advanced training from eight, uh, year, uh, eight years old. And then whenever we want to give them more strategic uh, teaching and execution, about 10 years old to 12 years old, they can understand 
uh, the more uh, abstract ideas and strategies. So we need to take it as a progressive uh, uh, stages from five, around five years old and then eight years old and then 12 years old. They, they are steps by steps. Um, Karen Lowe, at what stage uh, is it best to start um, you know, focusing on specific sports um, you know, in terms of a, a, a child's development? And again, does it differ for different sports? Well, for, you know, some certain sports like uh, gymnastics or, or uh, uh, figure skating, for example, I think these are sports that uh, might require uh, a little earlier specialization. But I would say that for most sports, if you look at the stats, um, the most successful athletes um, in the world, they usually start specializing um, in one sport at the age of 15. So uh, going back to my uh, guest point uh, about early specialization and kind of going off of what Patrick has just mentioned, um, it's about having fun. And, 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 and while they're still young kids, it's about exploring you know what they like the most because that's 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 how they get motivated intrinsically and so i think uh it's 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 great that people sign up for fencing lessons just because we have a gold medalist um but at the same time i think it's not just about like okay there's a gold medalist let's you know let's get into fencing it's about understanding that sport has a lot of positive um uh, effects and uh, positive impacts to 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 the kids so uh ha ha you know playing multiple sports it's is is, is actually better uh than 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 just specializing in one uh, uh, especially when they're young kids so back to the subject of the parents again how do you sell that to hong kong parents who can just about allow their daughter to go to ballet or their son to go to football in between extra maths and english grinds how do you go about selling this to parents well, I think it's uh, again, it's it's about educating them early, um, under, uh, like letting them know that yes, there are positives, but at the same time, there's also you know consequences and possible negative consequences that might come out of it, and and show them uh, different you know statistics, you know you know the number of athletes that make it to the top level or the number of athletes that actually get into college and, and, and play for college or play beyond college um, so understanding that this path is definitely not easy and and helping them or allowing them to to, to understand this this side of sport as well and hoping that they can make informed choices okay i've got a few emails here from listeners um, this one from uh, CW says, uh, a great job by the Hong Kong government in paying for access to the Tokyo Olympic coverage. All Hong Kongers are benefiting. Smart move. Go Siobhan Hohi. That's from uh, CW. Uh, um, uh, TC writes, uh, the answer to why Hong Kong parents are reluctant to let their children play sports at an elite level, Hong Kongers are too results-oriented. They don't think their children can make a living playing elite sports. Um, and Mary says, uh, so the government spends our tax dollars on the Olympics to engender patriotism, but the Blues, instead of cheering on the uh, and supporting, trash one of our top athletes and distract his focus. There must be a lesson there somewhere. I think that's a reference to the, to the uh, badminton player uh, wearing a, a, a black uh, T-shirt because um, he had to use his own uh, gear for that uh, on that particular occasion. But... Um, Anyway, uh, uh, how about that point about, I mean, is, is, is that so? Uh, Hong Kongers are too results-oriented? Um, uh, let, let's see. Uh, so, uh, Professor Lau, would you, would you agree with that? Or, uh? <laughs> yeah, um, 
I believe this is the worldwide focus because whenever we look at the funding, we cannot support all sports, which is popular or not. So many people ask, why don't we support uh, uh, football or basketball? I'm sorry, we don't have enough uh, uh, funding. So the best question uh, is, how can we maximize the effectiveness and efficiency of particular sports? They are already uh, demonstrating excellence or, or, or potentials. So this is about funding efficiency. Um, of course, we have to get a um, meaningful scoring system, which we are having now for the focus sport A star, A and B. I believe we got to find a formula to demonstrate and try to identify and differentiate which sports have we have, we have potential to do it, and internationally we can we can maximize the, the results. So I believe uh, every single region or society countries they must have a formula to maximize the results, and result oriented is uh, natural. It's natural. So is there any alternative to siloing kids? and putting them in a, in a camp like the Sports Institute provides, uh, which creates, you know, a kind of micro-community and perhaps a sort of identity of eliteness that might not be entirely positive in terms of motivation. Is there any way to sort of keep them out in the community uh, and make it more of a, um, a general type of thing instead of siloing it? I believe, you know, the, the excellence and the mass participation of different sports, including fencing, or windsurfing, or table tennis, or cycling, we are, we are doing uh, uh, in the correct direction. They are not uh, exclusive to each other. On, on one hand, we need to produce a very broad foundation of all different sports. And then in the middle level and the elite level, we base on this broader foundation and more population, we can identify talented players. And then we can develop their identity, their competitiveness, and excellence. So they are not mutually exclusive. But on the, one, on, the, on the other hand, we need to pay the balance between the mass participation and the excellence in the athletics. Is, so this balance can, must be done very well. Is elite the right word? Uh, <laughs> depends how you define it. You know, when we say elite, um, this must demonstrate their excellence in particular sports or, or their abilities. Yeah. Okay, uh, we've got a, a, a few more comments. Uh, uh, these on our Facebook page, uh, if you want to join in, uh, backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Give us a call, if you like, on 233 But uh, a little selection of uh, Facebook uh, comments here. Uh, TC writes, uh, although I may not be very happy to see the IOC stiff-armed uh, Japan into hosting the Olympics, I cheer for the athletes who had to put an extra year of their lives on hold for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Everyone will revisit problems of holding the Olympics during a global pandemic when the Beijing Winter Olympics takes place in February 2022. Although the Winter Olympics may not be a big deal in Hong Kong, as it doesn't send many athletes, it's a huge deal in my country being uh, very competitive in many winter sports. Um, TC, I wonder if you'd just like to clarify what actually your, your country is. Is it Canada? Uh, anyway, anyway uh, um, uh, this one from Nig, I'm not sure if it's Nig or Nige actually, writes, uh, um, 
How about stay true to oneself and remember who was there for you before you became famous and don't let those with ignoble intentions use you. Best of luck to everyone in Tokyo. It's a very special time in your lives to be part of the Olympics, so enjoy it while doing your best. Uh, Carl writes four words only, no pain, no gain. Um, uh, okay, TC again says, uh, uh, oh yeah, okay, as a Hong Kong, a Canadian, I'm doubly happy about day three of the Olympics. A gold medal for Hong Kong and an adopted child from China won the first gold for Canada in the 2020 Olympics. Um, how about this? I mean, um, sport, I think, as we all know, has a, a great capacity to uh, to inspire people and unite people. Um, um, Trisha Leahy, um, are, are you happy with the way you, you know the, the the response of Hong Kong people to uh, to, to these Olympics and the the success of of Chen Ka Long and the hopes for the other athletes? Yes, I am. I really, really appreciate not just the um, uh, public support, but the media support. Everybody, once the athletes are doing well, you know, everybody gets on board to support them. And that in itself is really important because right now, of course, at the Olympics, they're competing with no spectators. But all the spectators are online. They're in the shopping malls. They're in the community centers. And, and again, I totally applaud the government for buying the broadcasting rights because it's given uh, the Hong Kong people a, a real chance to participate in a very real way and support the athletes. And the athletes know that this is going on, and it's a huge boost to them. Um, and I'm, I'm much more positive about the, the whole, uh, you know, use of the term elite, about the parents positioning in sport. Um, because at the Hong Kong Sports Institute, we are in the business of developing giftedness. And we should never be ashamed of valuing giftedness and calling it what it is. It is about the elite. It is about the best of the best. And you do not get to the Olympics unless you are the best of the best. 75% of um, National Olympic committees or countries that go to the Olympics have never won a gold medal. Now Hong Kong has won two. 60% of those going to the Olympics of different countries and NOCs have never won any medal. And 45% have never even reached the top eight. So to date, Hong Kong is not doing too bad. And we're, of course, looking for more, looking for the marginal gains, looking for everything to be better. And we were really um, enthusiastic about a research that we uh, uh, recently did as we're you know, preparing our next five-year strategic plan. And we found that in the survey that we had done, 70% of parents surveyed in the general community agreed that if their child displayed giftedness in sport, that they would support that child to become an elite athlete. So I think in the future going forward, and with these results that we're getting now, um, the, the times are going to, to look really good as we move forward into the next generation of athletes. Mm. Okay, here, here's another uh, email, this one from Guy, who's... Uh um, says, I would like to receive assurance from your guests that support staff and coaches involved in the sports development of juveniles are properly background screened, both locally and in their countries of origin. Uh, that's from Guy. Uh, yes, uh, Trisha, I can, can you? Yeah. I can speak to that, absolutely. Mm. This is a, a major uh, value of ours at the Hong Kong Sports Institute, and everybody is background checked. Not only that, but we have a very strong code of professional conduct, um, when we interview people, we ask very specific questions about this, 
and we do constant education for everybody at the Institute, all the staff, around the importance of making sure that the sporting experience is always a positive one, regardless of whether it's um, psychologically safe, physically safe, sexually safe. This is a real core value for us. Okay. Um, um, Karen Lowe, uh, great that you're still with us. Thanks. Um, um, what about what we were saying just now about the ability of sport to, to inspire and unite? Um, how important is that factor? Um, it's it's extremely important. Um, I think just from the psychological side of things, we do hope that kids always have positive experiences in sport. And if it's not fun, then you shouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> so I would I would argue that um, uh, it's it, like what Trisha has mentioned earlier um, that that we do hope to have a positive experience uh, for the kids and and we do want to make sure you know physically, psychologically, sexually they're safe to speak up and 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 to to understand that it, it should be a positive experience. Mm. Mm. Uh, pa Patrick Lau, how do you feel about that? Yes, definitely. When we're when we, uh, doing the sports sociology uh, studies, fun is always the first stage when we develop our sport talents. So fun elements must be emphasized at the beginning. Otherwise, um, the athletes cannot go to the top uh, excellence uh, arena when they grow up because they feel pain, they feel bored, and then... I don't think they can make the top at the end. So fun element is the beginning of every single stage of uh, sport participation and excellence. Mm. So, so um, going back to Naomi Osaka, Karen, how do you deal with what comes through more and more, I think, as lack of resilience in these young people? Um, they seem to lack a sort of inner locus of control around managing themselves under conditions of press conferences and that sort of thing. How specifically do you address that issue of resilience on the social side as well as the, you know, you've talked about biopsychosocial, but how do you deal with their social ability to manage themselves under pressure off the pitch and track? Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly understandable that uh, that some athletes might not have the resilience yet. I wouldn't say that they lack the resilience completely. I think that j they just haven't been trained for it. And so uh, resilience could be trained and it's part of psychology. It's part of sports psychology. And so, uh, you know, some athletes just maybe they're not socially as able to, you know, speak in front of the press or maybe they're, they're just great on the track or great on the tennis courts. But um, they probably need uh, a little bit more assistance uh, in other areas in life as well and I think it's it's important from a sports psychology perspective that they're also trained for these things so part of the mental preparation is not just about how you like how you perform and how you execute uh, physiologically and psychologically on the court but also other areas in life and that's why you know when Trisha did mention about the biopsychosocial model uh, it's about understanding uh, uh, the athlete uh, from looking at the athlete uh, 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 from a holistic approach uh, not just about his or her performance but also about um, you know how he does well socially and you know what his interactions are like uh, outside outside the field and outside the court Okay, uh, another listener email, uh, this one from Les. It says, uh, Dear Back Chat, on today's subject, I'd like to present another side of the picture. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for sports. Uh, there are companies that claim to train triathletes, especially younger ones, and are taking up public spaces, uh, 
beaches on the south side to train. Uh, there are signs to say no cycling, and during lockdown, cyclists uh, in their company's training jersey are seen regularly breaking rules, even refusing to get off the bikes when asked to by others using the area. This training company is also occupying public areas with stationary bikes. Know that if you are not cooperative, you are not welcomed in the area, and uh, the residents uh, have involved the LCSD in the past, um, and now the police, if necessary. A conversation needs to be had about additional space for training, but in the meantime, please respect the rules. We don't want people injured. And yes, senior citizens have been knocked down in the past and spent days in hospital. That from Les. Um, would any, anybody like to uh, comment on the uh, availability of public space for training for events like uh, the triathlon? Um, um. Yeah. I, I believe when we look at the LCSD policy management, I would say according to my personal experience uh, locally, internationally, when we travel around the world for international conferences, actually for the recreation management service, they're doing very well, I would say that. But in terms of the competition, especially international competition venues, we are still lacking even after the 2009 East Asian Games. We need to, on one hand, increase the availability of the facilities or new facilities. On the other hand, just like the, the comments from the email, that we need to compromise and, and arrange a meeting to see how flexible we can uh, entertain both the, the users on the specific uh, public space. I believe some of the rules are outdated and we need to update it according to the present situation. So uh, I think that the email message could be used as, as a, a, a message say we need to talk, we need to arrange to try to uh, solve the conflicts between different users. I believe we, we need that, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I think uh, at this stage uh, we're going to bring uh, the conversation to a close because there are a few more things to uh, that we need to follow up on. But uh, but thank you very much this morning to uh, Patrick Lau, who's a professor at the Department of Sport, Physical Education and Health at the Baptist University. Uh, thank you very much uh, also to uh, Tricia Leahy, the chief executive of the Hong Kong Sports Institute, and to uh, Karen Lowe, who's a sport and performance psychologist with Inner Edge and a certified mental performance. Performance consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology of the USA. Thank you all very much for, for joining us uh, this morning. Um, much appreciate it. Um, as I say, uh, we're going to finish off with uh, a few other uh, listeners' messages uh, relating to other topics. Um, this one uh, goes back to last Friday when, of course, the chief executive, Carrie Lam, was uh, a guest on Backchat with uh, the hosts, uh, Hugh Chiverton and Karen Coe. Um, this one from uh, uh, Patrick writes, uh, Mike Rouse said it was riveting radio. That was uh, Mike was Monday's host describing Friday's programme. Uh, so I decided to listen to the replay of the uh, chief on Backchat just now. Well, I'm wondering if I can have that 60 minutes of my life back. The arrogance, the long rambling answers to questions about the Greater Bay thingy, how she now understands what one country, two systems mean and a lot of other malarkey. Nothing about the real issues affecting Hong Kong people. The property market is booming, the stock market is booming, blah, blah. Uh, one more thing. Was Hugh told at the start of the programme that asking questions from real people was a no-go situation? It wouldn't surprise me if both he and Karen were told not to challenge her about anything at all. Uh, well, um, I can assure you, Patrick, that uh, that was not the case. Um, where was Stephen Sacker when you needed him? OK. Um, 
so we also have some um, emails about uh, another topic uh, that came up yesterday about the police uh, breaking up um, an illegal car parking uh, uh, operation um, and uh, which turned out to be uh, an interesting conversation. Um, so J.R. writes about uh, parking gangs. Uh, gentlemen, not just in Moncock. The same thing has been happening on Sunning Road in the heart of Causeway Bay for the past 20-plus years that I'm aware of. Um, why uh, ID checks and the like uh, all over town and, this, uh, uh, and this pet these petty syndicates go unchecked. Um, Richard writes, uh, Dear Baxter, I listened with interest regarding the supposed bust of the illegal parking syndicates in the city. Out here in cowboy country, uh, this is Sai Kung, I think, uh, as most people know, the same thing exists in our village. Everyone pays at 700 per month to park their cars, and not surprisingly, the parking stalls are mostly on government lands. Lines are painted, stalls are numbered for each house, and an elderly lady comes around at the end of the month to collect the fees. We've had the police come out and ticket cars for parking on government land every couple of months or so, but they won't do anything when told that the village headman is collecting money to park there. I've calculated that approximately... Uh, $60,000 is collected each month, not 6K, 60K. As my solicitor, who also pays, said, sometimes it's better to have a friend in the village than an enemy. Only uh, 700. <laughs> it's a lot more where I live. <laughs> you want to tell us more, Anna? It's about twice that. Right, right. Uh, this from Mary. Uh, with the uh, subject line hidden in plain sight. Revelations yesterday read the decades-long triad parking operation on Manchong Street come as no surprise to residents of Yaochimong. This is common practice all over the district. Back chat should invite Priscilla Leung, LegCo member for West Kowloon, who has had an office on the street for years, on the programme to explain why she has tolerated the abuse of government facilities on her doorstep. Uh, one also has to question why the YTM District Crime Fight Committee, that according to RCE has its finger on the pulse of the community, has put no pressure on the police to resolve this issue. Among the 34 members are ex-DC members like Chris Ip, who lost their seats in the last election. Uh, that this committee with zero track record in protecting the public interest is going to replace our elected district councillors is certainly a cause for concern. Um, Finally, very short message from uh, Dan, who, who writes, uh, What happened to Hugh? Is he on holiday or question mark? OK, well, don't worry, Dan. I can confirm that Hugh is on holiday. He'll be back the week after next. OK, so that's it for today's programme. Um, thank you very much, uh, Anna. Thank you. <laughs> right. And uh, we'll be seeing you again soon. Um, quick look at the weather before we go. Very hot with uh, sunny intervals and a few showers. The maximum temperature will be about 33 degrees. More showers with isolated thunderstorms later. Moderate southwesterly winds, occasionally fresh offshore. The outlook, showers will increase and there will be thunderstorms in the next few days. It's currently 31 degrees. Humidity is at 82%. The very hot weather warning is in effect. Once again, congratulations to uh, fencer Edgar Chern Carlong and go Siobhan Hockey. Over the past two years, Hong Kong faced severe challenges. Facts have proved that with the support of the central government, Hong Kong can withstand any test and the whole community fights against the epidemic together. 
It's time now for Hong Kong to forge ahead with renewed perseverance. The 2021 Policy Address Public Consultation. Your views are welcome. For details, please visit www.policyaddress.gov.hk. Now the new summary with Samantha Butler. Hong Kong swimmer Siobhan Hohi will shortly be attempting to win Hong Kong's second gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics. The women's 200-metre freestyle final officially starts around 9.40am. Hohi recorded the second fastest time in yesterday's semi-final. The U.S. Infectious Diseases Agency, the CDC, said Americans should resume wearing face masks in public indoor spaces in parts of the country where the coronavirus is surging. The guidance applies to both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. And police on duty during January's storming of the U.S. Capitol building by Donald Trump supporters have told a congressional inquiry what happened was an attempted coup. One officer described being beaten, tasered and called a traitor as rioters broke in. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer. Great interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults. This is not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning once again and welcome to Wednesday here on The Morning Brew. Another very important day for Hong Kong in the Tokyo Olympics as star swimmer Siobhan Hohi will be competing in the 200 metres freestyle final. In just a few minutes at the same time as Danny brings you his sixth report from today, Cicado City, that's where the golf is going on, near Tokyo. After 10.30, composer of our RTHK Olympics theme music and conductor Colin Touchin will be with me for this week's classical music chat today, the origins of some of the most common musical names and terminology. Get your sack butts and your crommers and your shawms out, that's what we need this morning. RTL France's Philippe Dovar is deep in the French countryside today where they're not grand on Wi-Fi. So he's going to be with me on Friday instead when he's going to be in Paris. And after 12, we're off to Central to join Chris Watts at his Motion Dynamics studio. Join him on Facebook Live as usual. Today he's going to fix your levator scapula syndrome, talk about natural pain management and give you a clue as to how all these high-end athletes deal with aches and pains. Upstairs is on the mission. He just talks, he never listens. He just talks, he never listens. And he complains, complains about my love of music. Says it's too loud and he hates it. He don't laugh because I don't hate it. 